Before I begin, I just want to take this moment uh, again in prayer uh, before the Lord. So would you bow with me? Father, we ask that your word would sanctify our hearts so that we could receive what we need to hear and that we could be the people that you um, envision us to be for everything and everyone around us that you want to connect to yourself. May we be open to uh, the conviction of your word and may we be responsive by uh, the fruit that comes out of it. Just bless our time in your word that my words would be your words and guide us, Lord, in the process of knowing you better. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are concluding a two-part series called The Ripple Effect, uh, otherwise known as The Butterfly Effect, or just how we influence. And I don't know if everybody thinks about their life in terms of influencing other people and the direction of the lives of other people, but my guess is uh, if I were to talk to people in each of your worlds, they would say, yeah, this person has had an influence on me in this way. And it would be cool just to hear those testimonies. And sometimes it would be, I think it would be cool just to fast forward to the end of our lives and ask the question, what rippling effect did my life here on earth, 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 have towards other people? Maybe I just taught them how to say F instead of TH, disrupted their grammar lessons. But hopefully it's a little bit more meaningful than that. Hopefully it is a time where you look backwards and you say, yeah, I don't have that many regrets. But for a lot of us, I think we do have a lot of regrets and we do have a lot of missed opportunities and we do wonder sometimes if things would have been different, how we would have responded. But we can play that guessing game all day long. And the fact of the matter is, God just wants us to be in the moment, to be aware of what he's doing in the here and now, and to possibly not miss any opportunity that he's created for us to be that person of influence in ways that we could never imagine. And while I can't catalog your experiences, I I know that uh, in my own, I've had some weird things happen to me. Uh, One, uh, I was uh, starting out of the gate. I was a a youth sponsor for uh, a high school youth group. If you can imagine that, a nerd like myself doing that. But I did it. And the outcome of it was a little nerdy as well. And it started off with a junior high kid that was pretty rowdy. uh, But for some reason, he liked me and he kind of was a hanger on. And so every outing that we had, church camps, all of that stuff, this young man, Matt Landris and myself, we just hung out. Matt was a little bit off the chain and his parents pulled me aside one day and we, they said, we're so glad that you're a part of Matt's world because he really looks up to you. And, you know, I kind of knew that, but I didn't realize how much he was taking all of this to heart. Well, I kind of thought that after I had left and I went to college and I went on into other areas of service that Matt was probably going to be like many kids that I know, go to college probably test the water, sow his wild oats, do a few things that, you know, were indicative of a kid that's a little off the chain. But instead, what I found out was, later on, uh, Matt went to college, and he had one aspiration, and that was to be a teacher of either literature or philosophy. 
And I didn't know that about Matt until I got into a phone conversation with him uh, about five years after I graduated. And I said, Matt, how are you doing? What are you up to these days? He said, well, you won't believe it. I'm a teacher in the local college. And I teach literature and I teach philosophy as a Christian. And I said, that is so awesome, Matt. What made you decide to do that? He said, you. And I'm like, what? So my inner nerd must have rubbed off on him. And I thought, well, good for you. You're in your calling. And that is a win. But I never intended for that to happen. I never saw that coming. And I never expected that from him. Well, fast forward a few more years. And I'm in another church, the one I was at preceding this one. And uh, we, we had a number of youth ministers kind of come and go over the years. And there was this young man named Travis. And I had recruited him to be a part of uh, the, the leadership team for our youth. And then he became a youth pastor for about uh, a couple of years. And as he did that, I just saw this guy grow leaps and bounds. And he was a little bit of a rounder like Matt. And I thought, you know, I don't know where he's going to end up, but he sure is a live wire. He's a lot of fun. And I, I can't imagine, you know, if, uh, if, he, if he just doesn't become a pastor in a church and, and, and move on. Well, he moved on, I moved on, and some years later, I got into a phone call with him, and I said, Travis, what are you doing these days? He said, you won't believe it. I live in, I live in North Carolina, and I'm teaching at a college. I said, well, what are you teaching? He said, philosophy. So I knew, I, I, I knew, I, I'm, I'm almost waiting for it. And sure enough, I, I asked him, I said, well, how, did, how do I connect those dots in your life? And he said, you, my friend. And I'm like, wow, my inner nerd must be contagious because guys like you are becoming nerds. What's, what's, you know, where's the world headed? But you, you never thought when you do the math in the lives of people that you see coming up, sometimes the outcome of where they end up at is nothing like you would have ever conceived. And yet that's how God works whenever he ripples out of our lives into the lives of other people. Usually in ways that we don't expect it. But I would say the reason why it happened is what we need to focus in on. And that I think is really going to be the substance of the message today. Because I honestly think that it just doesn't happen to pastors or people that are in this field of, uh, of ministry. But actually it's expected for everybody. Now if you look at the graphic, what do you see? It looks kind of refreshing, doesn't it? Probably in a warmer climate. And probably a swimming pool or the sun shining. All of the above things we don't have right at the moment. But what I do like about it is what it, what it indicates. One little drop of water going down into a pool of water. And coupled with a whole bunch of other drops of water surrounding it. All of these ripples that are way beyond the size of the initial drop of water expanding out. And the reason why it's so meaningful to me is I found over the years I've been a pastor that when I look at stuff in nature, it's almost always an, an analogy to the things that God is doing in the spiritual world. It's like what's happening in the real world and the patterns are the same patterns that God has going on in the spiritual realm. That it makes it easy for us to just look around to meditate a little bit on what we see happening and recognize that if that thing is from God then in some way God is probably using it to be a signpost 
to the realities of who he is. And the Bible does make it very clear that, that um, the heavens and earth declare the praises uh, of God. And I think this is how they do it. They, in their own way, just show the identifying characteristics of the God who created it all. And the ripple effect is one of those things that I think God wants us to pay attention to because it is, it is underneath so many things that make the church what the church is. And I think your life, what your life is supposed to be as well as mine. We're not just lone Christians who come and consume it and then we go into our world and thank God that he's there to help us. But rather, for some strange reason, God said, I'm choosing you all. That's plural you. I'm choosing you all to be ripplers. To be ones that can take something that is of a small amount of influence and see it begin to influence in deep and profound ways. Now I want to illustrate how that happens just so that you understand the principle. There was a book by Andy Andrews called The Butterfly Effect. And this is how he sets it up. Now imagine that we are on the brink of a possible famine where potentially billions of lives of people are going to be impacted by the very fact that our grain producing parts of this country are, are, are getting ready to, um, to, to collapse. And there was a guy by the name of Norman Borlaug who was assigned with the responsibility of initiating a policy that had to do with how plants and, and how, in this case, um, uh, how things were engineered so that they would be resistant. And as a result of that, the crop failure that was expected didn't happen because the threat of, of, of conditions and disease didn't create the, the, the possible, the, the possible um, uh, shortcoming of crops. But the interesting thing isn't so much an act that happened a long time ago that, 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 that made a whole bunch of things not happen that we don't have to talk about, like a 9-11 event. But what's interesting is the backstory of this gentleman who was, the, um, who was being mentored by a guy named Henry Wallace who was a one-term vice president. And he actually created the office for Norman Borlaug to, uh, to, uh, to occupy. And essentially what happened in the course of their relationship is a hybrid seed was developed so that the conditions being threatening as they were wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't impact grain production. So if you're a farmer, this is all exciting and stuff. If you're not, you're like, okay, keep moving. So here's where this goes. Henry Wallace was one of those people that as a young man had an older gentleman come alongside him and talk about plants and how excited that he was about plants, if you can imagine that. And then this older gentleman who was mentoring this young man and this young man grows to have that same value and that same appreciation that is Henry Wallace, would look backwards on his timeline and say, that was, that was created in my heart because of George Washington Carver, who, if you remember that story from school, 
the guy, he didn't invent the peanut, but he sure invented a lot of stuff that you could do with it, which is pretty fascinating in and of itself. But the interesting thing is, if you know his story, you don't realize that the conditions were created by Christian parents who, unable to have a child, went to an orphanage and they found this little baby named George. And God being the God that he is, orchestrated circumstances so that George's passion for plants would be fostered in a home that was enriched enough that he could just go bonkers. And he did. But without George's parents, Moses and Susan Carver, we don't know what would happen when it was announced that we are on the brink of a famine. I mean, you just don't know. You really have no idea how what we do in seemingly insignificant everyday circumstances, but in our case, do in the name of the Lord, we just can't even comprehend how God expands that out into something so dramatic. Unless maybe we pay attention to plants and find the same kind of analogy going on there. I remember the first time I found some corn seed laying on the ground whenever I was a kid. And it was dumped by a truck that was uh, over, overflowing with it. And it was parked near our house. And it just kind of spilled out. And I thought, I wonder what would happen as a kindergartner if I took some of those seeds and I put them in a bucket and I just watered them and watched them grow. Well, sure enough, they started to grow. And I was so fascinated by that. And what I came to realize is that one seed creates a whole cob of corn, which has just got hundreds of seeds on it. And you're looking at that and saying, well, that's just the way it works. But in reality, God is saying, no, there's a lot more, there's a lot more there. That is the way things work in life. So don't discount the little things. Now my question is, as a little kid, what would have happened if I had looked at all of that seed on the ground and said, that's boring, and I just went on? Well, it wouldn't have grown. It would have just probably been run over by more trucks, and that would have been it. But in my mind, it, it, it germinated into something that was pretty fascinating. But it also created an awareness in my mind that all the corn that is growing around me is a lot more complicated than I thought. But as a pastor, it made me keenly aware of Bible passages like the one we're getting ready to read. And that's found in the end of the book of Galatians, where a pretty common understanding in an agricultural society is given a real spiritual um, uh, emphasis. And so if you have your Bibles, feel free to look at, at, at Galatians chapter 6. If not, you can look on the screen. So let's go ahead and put our scripture up there. In it, we read this. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now in this case, it's, it's sort of helping your pastor along so he can be gainfully employed to do what, what we're doing in this room. But it also has to do with a larger principle. And that is, he says, don't be deceived or don't, don't think that there isn't something to what I'm getting ready to tell you. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. And then he goes on to describe this as 
The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. And as you just ponder those few phrases right there, he's actually saying a lot more than we recognize. If you read the book of Galatians, which I, I wouldn't encourage you to do right at the moment, but perhaps this week, he left off from a chapter that described what kind of seeds were being planted in people's lives. And he, 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 he describes the fruit of what those seeds create. And he says they're witchcraft and they're their idolatry and their anger and their lust and their jealousy and their immorality and on and on and on. All these things that in the uh, young person growing up, you're not really caught up in that stuff. But as you get older and you're around it more and more, it becomes part of who you are. And then he contrasts that with the change that happens when the seed of the gospel is planted in a person's life. Something begins to transform in their being and it works itself out into everything that they do. Whereas the person that I used to know and I have a friend who described himself this way, you wouldn't have liked me very well before I became a Christian. I was always angry. I was short tempered. I'd push people away and I wasn't a nice guy. There are words that I'm sure come to mind that I can't say in church that described him. And I'm looking at him and my jaw's dropping because I'm thinking, I've never seen that quality in you ever. And I'd known him probably about five years up to that point. And I'm like, you're making this up. And he said, no. He said, when the Lord became important in my life, I started to become a different person. And he says, I can't describe it any other way. It's the power of God at work. And I, I just, I, I marveled at it because not only had I heard somebody like that say that, but I've heard it enough times that I know that when that seed of the gospel is planted in your heart and you're not resistant to it, you do start to change. Your life begins to take on a different characteristic. And it is not from you. It is not psychology. It is not just a new pattern of looking at the world. It is a change of a living reality taking, taking shape in the uniqueness of your person. Just like a piece of corn has within it that potential to become something that you never imagined it could. It is God's way of saying, yeah, I'm giving you the very life that keeps you from being stuck as that seed, I'm the game changer in all of creation when it comes into full bloom and full blossom. I'm the thing that makes that happen. But there's a lot of my people out there that are dead. And it's not happening. And by design, I've called my church to be the vehicle for that to happen as they carry the gospel through space and time and when people hear it and it's in that timely moment where people have been praying and they've been wondering, yeah, I can't see the Lord doing anything but I'm going to pray anyway and then all of a sudden, bam, they start to change and you're like, man, I honestly think I'm here because I had a grandmother who was bedridden for a long time and she didn't have anything else to do but pray and I can remember thinking, why is God hounding me so much? 
And I really put him off for a long time. And he kept hounding me and hounding me. And later I found out it was her. She was the one responsible for God showing up in my world. And finally I just had to give in. You know, the white flag. And that's when everything changed. It was like a reset for my humanity. Not only just a reset, I, I didn't realize that I was now adopted into a family. I was now part of something that legally in, you know, in a very universal or cosmic sense of everything, I was adopted and grafted into the family of God where the legal paperwork in the spiritual realm says Leonard Moore is part of this family. And the way that we know is my spirit is there as a guarantee. And what's so cool is I just see that happen over and over and over. But I wonder who influenced my grandmother. And I wonder who influenced her mother. And I even thought back to Travis, who, by the way, Diane is a Hostetler. And my mom was a, had Hostetler. And it's just funny how weird life is. And I realized that there were people that settled in central Illinois and they carried with them seeds and probably the King James Bible and a couple of other things. And they said, we're going to plant some corn and we're going to plant some churches. So there's a little country church called Smizer Christian Church that all the farmers went to. And I can't tell you how many ministers came out of Smizer Christian Church. So cool. And yet it is just the rippling effect of people doing pretty simple things. And as I'm reading this from the Apostle Paul, I know if he were here to comment, he would just be expanding on it. And he would be looking at each of you and he would be saying, if you sow the things of God in your life, God's not going to let that go. He's going to let that thing bear fruit in its time. All things in their season. All things in their time. Lord, I'm praying to you that you will help my kid to see you. Chances are, you pray that prayer, God is just going to be working in a variety of circumstances to be that signpost saying, hey, I'm over here. And in time... That kid or that friend or that person that you love, they'll go through something in their life that no one can solve that question or answer that question or solve that problem except for God. And they may be asking, oh yeah, their faith is kind of becoming my faith. And it's just the way God ripples out through space and time from simple prayers. But I also think about people that are in church because a timid person came up to you and said, I'm really nervous about this, but would you come to church with me? And they're like, sure. And you're like, no, seriously, will you come to church with me? Yeah. No, I, I know you don't really want to come to church because church is, no, I'm coming. And, you know, we get this in our head that it can't happen. And God says, no. If I'm in the equation... I just need you to be faithful. And that really is the whole point here. Because every day we're making a choice. And that choice is creating conditions and circumstances that ripple into other people's lives. 
And what I'd like for each of us to do is at the end of our lives, maybe it is until we get to heaven and we look back and we say, oh man, I made some choices or I said some things that pushed people away rather than pulled them in. Or I had an opportunity to pray and I should have, but I didn't. And I don't want any of us to end with a whole lot of regrets in the rearview mirror. I'd like for us to think that, yeah, even though I can't predict the outcome of things, I can show up, I can be faithful, and in every opportunity that God gives me to express his purpose through that conversation, I'm going to do it. Opportunities that gives me to pray, because they, I, I read something this week that said, there are conditions that people know that they are loved by another human being. And they mentioned four of them. But I'm just going to mention the one. And that is when other human beings show up when you're suffering. There is something about the presence of that person when you are going through a dark valley that is so, so refreshing. But it also makes you feel like that person had the presence of mind to just put the pause button on their life and to show up in my world and all they needed to do was show up. They didn't even have to give answers. Just the very thought that they would say what you're going through matters to me. That reverberates. And so many times, God is looking at what, would, what I would describe as the pool of opportunity that is your pain and my pain. And he's saying, I didn't create these conditions for this person, but I don't want it to go to waste. I want them to know that I am there for them. And by design, God doesn't just jump into every situation where everybody's hurting Unless, one, we ask, or two, we show up. And then God shows up. He does everything through the church. Because Jesus, by description, is sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. And he's commissioned us to be the church. Now, I'm just going to go a little bit sidebar here for a second. And that's this. We live in a culture that says... We're consumers. That is our identity. And if we're consuming something, it should be satisfying, including church. And sometimes we say, I don't feel like going to church today. Believe me, I've had that thought. I've acted on that thought. But here's what I understand about the church. If everybody all of a sudden says, I'm not going to church today, guess what? The vehicle... For the gospel, which plants the seeds of life in the lives of the people that God longs to redeem, won't happen. Without the church, it will not happen, people. It will die. And so some of us get to a place where we realize, I don't feel like going. I don't want to go. But I also want to do the thing that I think is going to have the greatest impact for other people. And so, you know, I, I get paid to go to church, but for the longest time I didn't get paid to go to church 
Because I've always believed this. Without the church being the vehicle for the gospel, it doesn't get done. I don't go to church grudgingly. I actually go to church because I know people around me need me. They need you. We need each other. It's the only way it works. We carry, Paul's very explicit, Christ in you is the hope of glory. The hope is nowhere else except in the lives of the people of the church. Why do we go to church? Because the people around us need us to be there. And the people that are waiting to hear the good news need us to carry it to them. And I think a lot of us have caught on to that. And we've sort of outgrown that consumer idea about, yeah, I feel like it or I don't feel like it or I didn't get nothing out of it today. It's not really about what you get out of it. I mean, that's a dirty little secret. It's what you put into it because God is always here. Unless the leaders have barred the door and the pastor's not preaching the right stuff. But God is always here. He always shows up. The question is, are you paying attention? Are you seeing it? Because you won't create the ripple unless you're in the moment. And you're listening. And it's funny. I preached this thought this morning and somebody's car horn started going off. I don't know if that was your car horn or not. But I just thought it was ironic. But God is always in the clamor trying to get our attention. Well, how we ripple out into the lives of other people is a big mystery. And so the biggest thing that you and I can do is be faithful in every moment that we have in our waking hour. And he describes the other seeds that are planted. The dark seeds, the seeds that you feed them, the more they take on a life of their own, the more they actually take your life away from you. And I don't know that we need to go there this morning because hopefully, maybe you're like me. You planted those seeds, you fed those seeds, and you didn't like their fruit. And the Lord said, I got some seeds. And I think, I think you will like the fruit. Now God is probably looking at each of us in the room through different lenses depending on where we are at. But my guess is, if we're far away from him, the lens that he is seeing you through, I believe is this. And it's probably because I'm a parent. And I've seen my kids in spaces where they're starting to get a little bit untethered. And I get worried and I get concerned and I feel a burden. And I want nothing more than for them to be in a good place with myself and with God. And my guess is, if you're in that space and God is looking at you through that lens, there are probably other people in your world who see what he sees. And they've been praying. And God's been nudging. And my guess is, they love you so much, they will persist until they they see you see it. And then there are others of us who maybe are so busy that we have lost the eyes that see the things the heart of God uh, beholds. 
And maybe the ripple effect is your way of saying, I need to recalibrate. I need to recognize that there are people who look at my life and are paying attention. And I hope that the seeds that are planted as a result of what they see model are going to create good fruit in their life. And so that's a challenge for us to be faithful, to be obedient. I'm guessing there are people who don't go to church because, well, our hypocrisy does run pretty deep. But a lot of us, through the spirit and the strength of the Lord, we, we call it into check. And we make an effort to live within boundaries. And we try to keep our lives in order in the Lord because we know people are watching. It's rippling one way or the other. You can't stop it. No matter where you go, it's like running through water. You're going to make a wake. You're going to create a ripple. You're going to maybe create a tsunami. Who knows? But if it's a tsunami, maybe it's a Jesus-shaped tsunami. And I hope that as we move into this season, everybody's stressed, everybody's hard-pressed, people are feeling pain acutely, emotions are intensified, Maybe this is our opportunity to have a rippling effect on people that may be the most sensitive to it this time of year. Would you bow with me? Father, as we think about all the seeds that we plant in a given day, maybe we're just becoming aware of how everything we do is either a signpost towards you or away from you. I just pray, Father, that we see that we know that there are eyes that look at our lives and you want eyes to see us through the lens of respectability that is centered not in our own efforts but in our connection with you our devotion to you Lord our love for you because you first loved us you planted a seed in the ground that is described as the first fruits from the dead And that is the good news. And that seed was Jesus. And in your train, Lord, all of those who answer the call to be a part of your family are experiencing that wonderful harvest. That fruit that is indicative of life in you. That transformation. Father, I've tried to use words to carry the freight of things that are beyond my capacity to tell. But I pray that your spirit would work in every heart here, that the significance of what we do here on earth matters in ways that we just can't even comprehend. But also the significance of what we do needs to be curated and cultivated and expressed in ways that are signposts to you on a consistent basis so for those in the room that you're seeking to rescue help us surround them to be encouragers help them to find in you that salvation and redemption that they feel is impossible to experience father i pray for our church as we seek to ripple out influence beyond the boundaries of this building into our community into every region and every pathway that is represented in this space. 
We make the plans, Lord, but you direct the path. And help us, Father, to spread your good news down every pathway that we possibly can. As people look to us and seeds are planted and lives are changed, we trust that you're at work in the process as we proclaim it. In Jesus' name, amen.